Welcome to the Superpower Success Podcast. It's time to shift your paradigm, gain some inspiration, and get moving towards that next level of success. Today, we're going we're gonna to shift our topic a little bit. I'm really excited about this conversation. We're going to talk about ancient wisdom for modern times. And you'll get a sense of what I mean by this. Hopefully that kind of drew you in. But I have Joe Rutten here. Joe is a good new friend. We, uh-huh. we, have, we have some really good, healthy I made the friend discussion. You for sure do, because <laughs> we are very aligned on this. He's a professor of theology and the director of the Benedictine Leadership Institute at Mount Marty University. Right. Um, and he is a leadership guru. Maybe that's, is that another word I can call I don't call know you if I'd you? call myself a guru, <laughs> but I work in the leadership space. He's a junkie like I am yeah, when 100%. it comes to leadership and culture. And so we have a lot of good conversations around this. And I just needed to share his perspective um, and his wisdom around really where we're at as a world right now. Right. I, I think it's cathartic for a lot of us to talk about this and to, to have a faith and that, that we can get ourselves out of this, right? But we have to uh, change our thinking. And so we're going to get into the topic. But first, I want Joe to share his journey with us. What's gotten you to this point? What has gotten me to this point? Um, I think if I'd have to say uh, first is my family is very important to me. I believe that fundamentally who the human person is in their moment is the result of the soil in which they've been cultivated. And for most of us, that's been our family for the, for the, the weeds in the garden, as well as the flowers. Mm-hmm. And I come from a large Catholic family. So I had a faith base that was also very broken, but my mother and father really trained me that faith is a tool that uh, can be wielded, uh, but needs to be wielded well if it is to heal. And so that my mother really trained and taught us that uh, brokenness was a condition of the human reality and that therefore forgiveness was going to be necessary. And so I just accept that the world's broken. And so I don't, I look at the world today and I watch the news and the TV and everything else. And I said, Oh yeah, yep. Still broken. Um, And so that's important that I have a faith perspective that allows me to see that the world's broken. But then I also have a hope that says that I can have a contribution to help make the world a better place. And so my mother and uh, uh, father, you know, always were hardworking, nursing, carpenter, construction. So we're blue collar family um, that also has to earn their keep. And kind of like St. Paul in the New Testament had to be a tent maker to to pay for his bills and and to eat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my father always said, you know, you better get up and get to work, son, if you're going to eat. And so that idea that says, Faith is important, but work is important to the human person. And what I discovered in my journey is that work actually is a necessary requirement for human fulfillment. Right. And so I'm very interested in the space between faith and work. Where do those two things collide and come together to help humans flourish and uh, to do good in the world? So that's kind of my background. I was going to be a Catholic priest, but uh, the collar got tight. (laughs) And so my twin brother, John, actually... uh, had to don the robes and got right. ordained. So I actually have two brothers that are priests, uh, Father Paul and Father John, and then two brothers that are cowboys, bull riding, cowboy hat wearing, wow. cowboy boots, the whole works. And then four sisters, primarily educators. Mm-hmm. Uh, three of them are teachers. One's an entrepreneur. That's just, she has like four businesses. I mean, she just is, and doesn't have a college degree. So that's a, yeah, really, really fascinating. Two most successful business people in my family don't have college degrees. 
So from that perspective, I had soft hands, the collar didn't fit. I didn't like blue collar work. So I became an educator and have been in the uh, theology space and philosophy space for about two decades at the high school level. And then now at the university level and have this tremendous project to rebuild, uh, kind of give a new vision to this Benedictine Leadership Institute. So that's where my passion is now. And that's kind of where this uh, tagline of ancient wisdom for modern times comes from. Yeah, I love it. So on your journey, right, to get to the success that you've reached today and, and for your future success, what is the superpower or superpowers? Ooh. He's already asked for more than one. So I will let you share more than one. <laughs> right. So I, I love the superpower. So I'm very, uh, you know, I work at the university level training the students um, to understand their gifts and their strengths. So I, I know vision, passion, and partnership are without a doubt my three super gifts. Um, I see things differently. Uh, I'm deeply passionate and committed to uh, the my beliefs and the work that I see and have in front of me. But I would say the one I'd lean into is partnership. Mm. I can walk in a room and number one, it's my goal to get to know everybody in the room. Mm. Number two, almost everybody in the room I'll be a friend with in a very short period of time. And that's a strength, but it also is one of those things where I realize that what it permits me to do that actually I've come to be fulfilled by even more is bring people together. I love connecting people. So my ability to meet Jamie and then meet somebody else and then say, Hey, you should know Jamie. Have you met? And then link you two together where you two can come to a room. I mean, those are the greatest. Uh, so my super strength really is partnership, not necessarily for my work, but to bring other people together. Right. And I just, you have an innate curiosity is the word I would use right. about people, right. right? I mean, even getting to know each other, right? You ask different questions, mm. which has led us to this topic right. that we're talking about today. And I think is so timely. And I think it'll be, I mean, we're just going to hit the surface of it. You right. have a whole institute that people can go to, right? If they want to go deeper in this. But talk a little bit about this, this philosophy, this approach you have around the ancient wisdom right. and how that really can help us solve and get through many of the things we're experiencing today as society. Right. So I want to first begin with an analogy. Everybody thinks the younger generation is worse off than it had ever been before. Right. So young people today, the kids today, they're just not responsible. They're, but you know, whatever. Right. Oh, it's totally. just like every generation thinks the previous one was worse. My proposal as a person of history and, and studying ancient civilizations and world religions is all people are broken. There is not a civilization that is lived in perfection. Uh, are we progressing? Well, yeah, we've, we're progressing in some ways, but in other ways, we're as brutal as we've ever been before. More people were killed through, through murder, mass murder in the 20th century than the previous 19 combined. That stat alone ought to make us look at the barbarians of ancient Rome and think maybe we're the barbarians. And so this idea that says, well, wait a minute. No, we're all human persons. Mm -hmm. The barbarians were humans. The, they actually were Germans, right? They were uh, the Romans, the Greeks, the Africans, the go all the way back the, to, to all the ancient civilizations. And you will discover that there, the human person is not changed. It's fundamentally still the human person. And in that context, we can look at 
history and we can discover the ancient wisdom, the ancient medicines Mm -hmm. that they use to heal their ailments. And I think sometimes we think that progress is leading us to a place where we don't need the ancient medicines. And I think when it comes to the human condition, some of the ancient medicines actually are what we need today to heal some of our ailments and our wounds. For instance, one of the ancient uh, uh, leadership principles that I teach is the principle of listening, right? Well, this is like right now, everybody's talking about listening and about, hey, we need to give everybody a voice and a seat at the table. And Mm -hmm. I agree 100%. Everybody in society today deserves a seat at the table and not just a seat, but a voice, right? right? Well, let's take it back 1500 years to Benedict of Nursia and this great monastic tradition that my university is built on and that my university takes the namesake of St. Benedict. Well, he lived at the time of the collapse of the Roman empire at the beginning of the sixth century. And he developed communities in which the first principle of the community is that the individual needs to be a person that listens. Well, where does he get this from? Well, he gets this from like 600 years before him, where the ancient Greeks taught that a a person needs to be self-aware. Oh, well, I would bet, Jamie, that one of the first principles of any leadership work you do is self-awareness. Absolutely. Helping team leaders be self-aware. You know, Mm -hmm. do you understand and are aware of your context, your employees, their lives? Well, this is an ancient principle that goes back 2,500 years to the Greeks the temple portal at Delphi, where the oracle lived, where everybody would go seek to have their fortune and their future discovered and told to them. Above the temple portal, Jamie, it says, know thyself. So what's the wisdom? When you go to seek your future, they tell you to go into yourself and understand who you are, because that will be the compass that gives you the direction so that then you know which way you should go to discover and arrive at your purpose and fulfillment. Well, we could package that into a bunch of modern leadership programs today. And that's what we're doing. We're just simply saying the human person is a person that needs to be aware of who they are. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Lean into your strengths so that you can contribute to to the projects in your office and be aware of your strengths so that you can match team members to complement them. And so that you don't do more damage than good. Right. In the office. And this is the piece that just is so refreshing to me to get your perspective on this, on the ancient piece, because it feels overwhelming right now as leaders mm-hmm. on how do we solve the issues that we're dealing with, right? How do we help our teams, our families, our communities navigate what's going on. And I love your perspective on, it gives me, right, a glimmer of hope, right, Right. some faith that we have solved bigger issues, right, Right. in our history. If you really look at history with the same wisdom that we already have that we can tap into. But you also lead students through this, right? Right. So you're leading the next generation Mm -hmm. is the modern piece is how do you adapt it so that, cause it's always about making it so that people can walk towards it. Right. right? right. They, it this has to be good. approachable. It's all about the story. You mentioned this earlier in one of our conversations, they have to be able to access the ancient wisdom through a context of narrative or story 
in which they feel a part of. Right. And so the idea of having examples, exemplars, models, narratives, all right, that allow them to see themselves in their story. And then I can take and connect it to the timeless or ancient wisdom. But if they're always looking at the the story from the outside in, then they will never integrate the lessons that you're seeking to teach them because it's the other. They're always looking at it as the other and never as me. So this is where the seat at the table, the the ancient monks would say, everybody gets a seat at the table. And then they would say, everybody needs to stay at the table. And so that idea that says, when we get into confrontation in modernity, we either want to cancel the other, or we want to dominate the other, or we want, and so So it turns in, walk away. We have this polarization that's happening, but there is a large group of people that just wants to be at the table in friendship with one another and understand that we're not the same. We're not perfect. We don't all think the same way. We have a lot of diversity and difference and that's great. And let's, can't we all just be at the table together in friendship? And this is where the ancient wisdom would say, yes. And this is how peacemaking occurs, but it's not a peacemaking. That's like, oh yeah, let's just all get along. No ancient monastic communities are some of the most diverse organizations in human history. You would have people living in monastic communities from all economic levels of society, from all race uh, areas of society. The monastic way of life is a universal way of life that you can find all around the world. Men, women, Catholics, non-Catholics have this monastic place. But the principle is a principle of unity, that we are one. And because we are one, we stay at the table when we encounter difficulties, when the winds blow, right? When the storm rages, the ancient wisdom says, stay at the table, stay united and make peace together. But that peace isn't going to be gentle always. It might be gritty. It might be rough. It might be like tough conversations, a hundred, hundred percent. But we, if, if the ancient wisdom is, is, is in place, that says that in dialogue, truth is discovered. In conversation, justice can be sought. But it requires human relationship in conversation and dialogue with one another about what is good for us. What does justice look like? And how can we achieve it? But if that conversation is immediately cut off, then we can never continue the process of growth, of peacemaking, of discovering the beauty that it is that we call human existence and human life. There's one principle I want to make sure I get in at some point. Dostoevsky, a great Russian author, um, all the way down to, to the ancient uh, f- Greek philosophers would say that the divide in the world is not out there. It begins in here. Right. And so, Jamie, my proposal is that the ancient wisdom is that we first must look within and wrestle with our own heart right. and our own mind and our own brokenness 
And if we're capable of doing that and recognizing that we still have value and dignity and beauty, then we can progress together toward human flourishing. But in order to do it, it'd be really wise to turn the TVs off, right. shut some of the technology down, less consumption of information and media and some of these things. Be- More quiet space. Are you, th- th- I mean, we've already talked about this, right? I mean, I'm a big believer in that quiet space, right? right. Is where our subconscious, where, right. or who we really are can show up. Whether it's uh, something happens at the office and you feel like sending that email, take some quiet space, 100%. right? I mean, these principles, they're simple, right? Everyone's listening. Right. Oh, of course, that's what I'm supposed to do. But, but right. We, and we so my job, right. My job is simply to say, let's take a look at this slogan that you just said. Let's, you know, I told my, my, my boys, I got three boys, my wife, they're just magnificent. My, I told my boys, take a deep breath. All right. What have I done there? Well, I've trained him actually a physical, physiological activity that is beneficial to his mind and his, his, his uh, heart rhythm, his blood pressure, everything can be affected by that. But I've also taught and trained him to find the quiet, to find the silence, to close his mouth, to Mm -hmm. be attentive, right? Well, this practice is ancient. You will find in almost all ancient religions, breathing techniques, Right. Very true. Right. This isn't new. Mm-hmm. We didn't just invent mindfulness. Mindfulness didn't just come like attentiveness and awareness is a spiritual technique that has been around for all of human history. Yeah. At, because my proposal is, is that we are spiritual creatures. Right. And this is a tool that all of human uh, uh, civilizations have used in order to train the human person that if we must begin with our own mind and heart, for leadership growth and development for human flourishing, then it requires us to have a technique by which we do that. And that technique is solitude and silence. And you will notice in the Hebrew tradition, the ancient wisdom of the Hebrews, they had uh, prophets. One of them was Elijah. And Elijah went up into the mountain to encounter the divine, to encounter Yahweh. And so he goes up into this cave by himself, And he's waiting to hear the voice of God. And along comes a raging storm and God's not in the, in the storm. And then like lightning strikes and God's not in the storm and the winds rage and God's not and it rains and God's not in the wind. And then scripture says a soft and gentle breeze came by and he heard God's voice in the breeze. Mother Teresa 3,000 years later will tell us that God speaks in the silence. This tradition from Hebrews, from Christians, from there, it's in all the traditions that we need more time of quiet and solitude and silence. And so my proposal is that what I have discovered in my leadership development, especially with executives, is the one thing they crave the most is the silence. Right. They actually love retreating. Mm -hmm. When you can get them away for a couple of days to a place where they're unplugged from life. Now, from their family, yes, but really from their work. All of a sudden they get into this place and they don't even realize how sick they are. Totally. Unhealthy they are, how chaotic their mind is, right? And so in my tradition, we actually have an eight-day silent retreat in the Jesuit Ignatian religious practice 
where you would do an eight day silent retreat. And I did one, Jamie, and it took five days to get to a place where I felt like I was ready for the input, Mm -hmm. for the information to, to begin to begin assessing and growing and doing the reflection. Like it took three days of just to deprogram and quiet my mind. Right. And we live in that rat race of a world. And so what my proposal in this Benedictine tradition is that we need to slow down. We're, 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 we're hamsters in a rat, rat wheel. Mm -hmm. We're rats in a hamster wheel. Just go, go, go. Why? Nobody knows. Why? And in the ancient tradition, the ancient wisdom would propose that we are persons that are created with purpose and that we would be wise to take some time to pause and reflect and ask ourselves, why was I created? What am I doing here? What is the meaning of this whole thing? Yeah. Well, Jamie, these are ancient questions that many of the ancient traditions have answers to. And all I do is I kind of plumb down into them and, and read from some of the Stoics and the philosophers mm-hmm. and the gurus and the religious uh, 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 priests and monks and, and just say, oh, wait a minute, that looks really familiar. That's really good. Let's put that into a modern context so that the modern person can access it and say, oh, yeah, that makes sense to me. And then I can say, yeah, and this principle comes from ancient history and is applicable to you today. And so something as simple as listening is not a principle that is foreign to all civilizations. What we discover is actually that the ancient wisdom needs to be plumbed and mined and given to the modern context And I think that's why a lot of the leadership stuff I've done is all really simple, but it's just the human dimension to work. And what I love really about what you guys are doing specifically at the university, at the higher education level is you're bringing this into the curriculum, right? And and it's very different, right? It's, it's, I wouldn't say non-traditional, but it's just we, we teach kids, we were taught that you need the skill sets, right? And here's <laughs> right, what you need right. to get a job yeah. and to do, but we don't teach them the human no. element. Now, no. a lot of them find the human element. And as parents, we do a good job of maybe giving them experiences, right? And more worldly. Right. And we, we do it, right. but the education system does not. Right. So we'll leave the education system to another podcast. <laughs> um, but fundamentally, I do believe that our education system has oftentimes become something which serves the economy. Mm-hmm. We're actually training right. people for jobs. The industrial era Right. That is not the history of education. The history of education um, has that element to it, but primarily at first it was, um, it was character formation. Who are you and how is it that you become who you're supposed to be? And so then we would raise them to be people that were polite right? That, that had uh, treated others with respect, that were capable of being controlled in their passions, right? This, this idea of self-control, mm-hmm. right? Well, this is what education ultimately started as in the ancient schools, the Greek schools, they call them paideia. Well, you take this classical human formation about habits of excellence, habits of virtue, we would call them, that Aristotle proposed is actually what leads to human fulfillment and human fulfillment, eudoinomia, 
is the Greek word. In English, it's translated as happiness. So his proposal 2,500 years ago, if you want to be happy, you need to live according to your purpose. Well, this is all modern leadership stuff right now. Right. It's all over, purpose is all over the place. And so what, even on marketing tools for universities and college, come and discover your purpose. Right. All right. Well, my question is, if the student pays the money to go to that university, where in their curriculum are they going to be trained to discover their purpose? They aren't because we've all come out and now we're middle-aged, right? And people that are, our purpose is where we get our paycheck, <laughs> right. right? But that is a right. And then we look and we say, that's what education's doing. We're training people to come out of school to find their purpose in their paycheck. Right. And to me, that is absolutely crazy. Well, it's, it's because we know that this doesn't fulfill us by the time we're 40 or at least 50. Okay. We realize, wait a minute here, there is much more to this thing than a paycheck. I better find something else that gives me meaning in life. Right. And, and so we put it in our curriculum. So now as freshmen and sophomores at Mount Marty University, they take Benedict in Leadership 101 as freshmen and 201 as sophomores. And a part of that is a discovery of human meaning and human purpose. And we use ancient texts and modern texts. An example of that, consciousness. So this idea of consciousness, so you can be conscious or unconscious mm -hmm. to reality. All right, well, we have this two paths philosophy. Epictetus, an ancient philosopher, proposed that all of life is about two paths, the path of virtue or the path of vice. The wisdom, the, the, the ancient Hebrews call it the path of wisdom or the path of vulgarity, right? So here's these ancient leadership principles. And then David Foster Wallace, who's a modern, he's actually gone to eternity, but uh, this is water is a great little a poem that he wrote. And there's a nine minute YouTube uh, video called this is water. And it's about two fish swimming in a fishbowl. And the point of it is, is that we swim through life conscious or unconscious to the realities around us. All right. So this type of a proposal that says, all right, we have this in our curriculum for our students so that they can become conscious or aware or attentive to who they're supposed to be as a person of virtue mm -hmm. so that then we will give them the virtues by which they can become the thing that they were created to be. Right. And in turn, that's how fulfillment is achieved. Right. An example, when you don't prepare for a test the next day, you're not studying because you're procrastinating the night before and you don't want to do it. How do you feel? Restless, irritable, um, anxiety, got the knot in your stomach. You're not ready, but you're, you're just, all right, here we go. And you go in and you take the thing and you just feel crappy. Mm -hmm. you, you're unfulfilled. Well, Aristotle would say that's because you failed to train yourself appropriately to be the person that does what's required to exercise your responsibility on this exam in a way where you're going to be fulfilled. And therefore you're unhappy. It's not a feeling, though. It's the result of you not living according to your purpose. Your purpose was to excel at this exam. You failed in preparation to excel. Therefore, you're experiencing unfulfillment. 
right. you're not happy. And so then what do we do out in society? We say, well, medication maybe, or, you know, there's a, or maybe, you know, we need to treat you nicer or, you know, like coddle you or now there's real issues out there in mental health. And I don't deny that. But I also think a lot of this is about responsibility for humanity and for who you are and becoming the person you're created to be. And if you don't do the thing you're you're required to do to become that person, you're not going to feel great about yourself. Right. And medications aren't going to help and counseling isn't going to help but we tend to look outside and say those other things are right. happening to us, to us. Right. right. And, th- and that's even as leaders, right. I think we, there's, there's a, a slight victim mentality of like, it's 100% versus I have control. Over 100. It. And so this is where then we take, and we actually end the freshman course with Victor Frankl's man search for meaning. Number one book in all of human history, in my mind, that should be read by everybody. It is unbelievable. So Viktor Frankl, Holocaust survivor, but he's a psychiatrist. So he brings the psyche, the psychology, the the, the discipline, the, the training to the camp with him. And his experience of the camp is what he then uses as the place to propose logotherapy or his, uh, uh, his counseling practice. And his counseling practice is about human meaning. That meaning and purpose are something that we discover and we apply to our lives. And in that, what he teaches us is that we need to have a hope. What is your hope? Well, the hope comes from your purpose. And he says your purpose must be greater than yourself in order for it to be effective. If you have a purpose greater than yourself, it will give you the hope to endure the suffering of life. And then you have the choice to look at that suffering as purifying and strengthening and assisting and as an opportunity and making you better in order to overcome it, to accomplish your purpose. And that person that lives that way on a day-to-day basis is a happy person. Right. And it's a person that we want to be around and it's a person that we want to hire. And it's, it's a person, person we that... all want to be. Just so many of us, right? Amen. We go through, and, right. and we go through seasons, I think. So for yeah, a leader sure. that's listening, I mean, this is this is heavy stuff, yeah, right? Probably, this is, it probably is, a little more. It's yeah. good, yeah. but it's right, good right. stuff. Like, where do you start? Where do you How start? Do you simplify it. The morning. I would simply say to all leaders that it begins in the first 15 minutes when you wake up, what do you do when you wake up and how do you wake up? How do you wake up? And what do you do when you wake up? Because I believe fundamentally that the human creature is that creature of habit. Mm -hmm. And when we start well, the percentage that that the rest of the day goes well, drastically increases. And so if you're a person that hits the snooze, I would encourage you not to hit the snooze. Um, If you're a person that wakes up with, just kind of without intention, I would encourage you to begin to wake up with intention. Mm-hmm. And that begins by planning. So, you know, I got, I got a monk like manual here. It's my, mm-hmm. my monk manual and it plans out my day and it, my priorities and my to-do list. But the fundamental thing that I have is that the, how the day starts is the most important. I really don't care what happens after lunch because typically actually most of the stuff, nothing really gets done in my world after lunch, yeah. but the most productive time is between six and nine. What do I do at that time? And I believe you need the me space 
Um, if you're a spiritual person, it's a place that you can encounter your creator or the spiritual reality that gives you uh, gas in your tank. Uh, and if you're, you know, a, a materialist or a humanist or, you know, that's the place where you can sit and be present to yourself in a place of quiet and solitude to catapult you right. into the rest of the day. Right. And I find that people are more effective when they take that 15 minutes. Doesn't have to be an hour. Right. Doesn't even have to be a half hour. But do you have that place in the morning where you take 15 minutes? And what I start with is a prayer of service that I can accomplish my purpose and be at service to humanity. Starts your day totally That's how different. it, oh, 100%. I mean, it's been given in modern times gratitude, yes. meditation, right. right? Give it a different term. I yep. mean, there's a lot of different ways and people have different practices, but right. you're saying the same thing. It, it's, it's, just... it's ancient wisdom. It's right. timeless wisdom. And all I'm simply doing is packaging it for modern right. times. I seriously feel like we could do this for hours. Well, you and I do do this we for could. hours. Everyone else just doesn't always get to listen right, in. Right, right. Um, but if people want more information, first off, um, for everyone listening who's like, I want to know more about this university because right, my kids right, need to go right. there. But also for the talk about the leadership um, retreat that you do, because I think that is a very powerful right. thing, especially as leaders are. You're talking for professional development, for professional, right? So, right. yeah. So we have this. Uh, this leadership institute that has a, a, a undergraduate and graduate curriculum element to it that transforms practical leaderships and gives them uh, character formation and meaning and purpose in their curriculum. But then we're like, well, we don't want to wait for them to graduate in four years and then 15 years for them to get into a leadership position where they can influence their corporation in order to have corporations which are flourishing too. Right. Like, let's just go to Main Street leaders right now and give them this stuff, right, right. right? And so what we've done, just our first product is a two and a half day leadership retreat and professional development that trains mid to upper level executives in the human dimension to work. What does it mean to be a human person personally? So we give them some of that self-reflection, self-awareness, an opportunity to examine who they are, uh, what their purpose is, what their meaning is. I'll give you one example here on one of the last ones. Uh, a banker for, for he's 61. He's, you know, getting to the back end of his final years. The first night stopped and said, man, I, I think I've been working for the wrong reason my whole life. Right. You get a vice president saying that at the back end of their career, maybe they've been working for the wrong reason their whole life. And that's powerful. Right. And it transforms the rest of the room and it empowers He's now going to go back to his organization and say, let's make sure everybody else in here doesn't wait till they're 61. Right, let's get them involved in this deep reflection of their personhood. Who am I? What's my purpose in the world? And then how can I communicate that and connect that to my organization so that my personal purpose is matching my professional purpose in this organization? And that's leadership. And that's leadership. And so we do this in a three three day leadership retreat in uh, Yankton, South Dakota, at um, a little retreat center down there, and it's just magic. We've really had it. Cohorts of twelve, um, and that's just the first product. Uh, Main Street right. leadership, professional development. This is your world, right? Uh, people are really starving for substance. They, they want real leadership. They don't necessarily know always where to go for it. Right. Our churches are kind of broken, if I'm honest with you. Mm -hmm. Our some of our universities, not Mount Marty, uh, <laughs> are kind of broken right. a little bit. Uh, family, family's broken, right? Like our institutions of social society are broken, um, and I think people are looking for substance to heal them. 
to help so them. So that they can have a positive ripple effect. To empower them, right? right? right. And if we can drop the pebble mm-hmm. into the, I love Bruce Lee. Bruce mm-hmm. Lee has that mm-hmm. water analogy, right? Drop the pebble and let the ripples. And I don't get have to control the ripples. I just get to work with one individual so that they can drop the pebble and let the ripples across their organization impact others. It's so beautiful. I thank you for bringing this topic for, I really, I mean, again, the Institute, we will make sure and provide the links in the podcast notes for everybody who wants to check that out. Um, But this is the kind of stuff we need to be doing right Right. now, instead of tuning in to the team, right? Getting wrapped around what's going on. And and the purpose of this podcast, the whole reason we started it is just those small shifts, Yes, right? The small paradigm shifts that help leaders get better, help humans get better. Right. And my small shift would just to be encourage people to seek ancient wisdom for modern times by cracking a book that might've been written by somebody that lived before 1960. Go read some of the older authors, the older persons, this great wisdom that is in all historical tradition and from all global cultures and seek some of that ancient wisdom. And I think you'll find some tools to live better today. That's great advice. I'm taking it myself. Thank you. You're welcome, Jamie. Thanks, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. If you like this episode, please click that little subscribe button so you get the latest episodes when we release them. And we would so appreciate a rating and a review. We'd love to hear from you on how these podcast topics are having an impact for you. And if you haven't subscribed to our newsletter, make sure and go to our website, keystonegroupintl.com to sign up.